Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Namrata Patel, author of the debut novel, The Candid Life of Mina Dave. Namrata, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, The Candid Life of Mina Dave, how would you describe the novel? Yeah, it's a story about identity and belonging. And it's about a woman who in, uh, who's a photojournalist and lives her life outside in the world without any connections, suddenly inherits a house in a historic area of Boston. And she's not sure how this all came about. And the story is about her discovery, her connection to the house, and then ultimately figuring out, you know, who she is and what her um, sense of belonging is amongst this community. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Canted Life of Mina Dave? Yeah, uh, there were a couple of things that sort of converged at once. One was I uh, do a lot of reading. I won't say research because I'm not an academic, but I do a lot of reading around diaspora and assimilation, particularly around uh, Indian Americans and our hyphenated history in the U.S. And I came across this article about 100 Gujarati who came to the U.S. in the 20s and 40s uh, to study at MIT to go back to India and rebuild the infrastructure there once the, uh, after the partition. And uh, I thought, wow, I never knew that about my history, right? Most <laughs> of my familiarity with the immigration history is um, 70s, 80s, 90s, particularly 90s, when there was a huge influx of Indians coming into the U.S., and that had to do with quotas and things like that. But mm -hmm. uh, this was really fascinating, and I, you know, I live here, and I walk the same streets, <laughs> and I kept thinking what would happen if it was, um, if they were here and they didn't see others like them. How did they eat? How did they sort of build community amongst themselves, did they, right? And um, the world was very different back then, particularly for immigrants. Uh, and they were here temporarily. So there was a sort of a rolling cadence of people coming in and out. And I thought, like, what does the support system look like with something like that? And, you know, Indians are collectivist by nature. Our culture is collectivist. And so there had to be something where you passed on uh, tips or ways to be, and then you brought spices over in suitcases. <laughs> and then the pandemic happened and our world just got smaller. And that's when it made me really reflect on the idea of a sense of belonging and how do you find your people when you are just put out of your element, which is what we were all put out of, Put you know, our world just changed overnight in a sense. And we were all just trying to figure out what the new looks like. So those were the two two things that converged at once that really uh, helped me think through and and bring this story alive. <laughs> sure, and and I'm curious, what kind of research did you do, and what did you discover about this, um, uh, you know, this immigration in the in the 20s and 40s that that you weren't aware of, and I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah, I went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I have fortunate to have some friends who are in academia. So I tried to find some papers that were written. There wasn't a lot about this particular group. Uh, Ross Barrett was the only paper that I found that was doing the research. And mostly he was cataloging 
all of the the Indians that I've studied in at MIT. And then I spoke with uh, uh, a few people in you know in my parents' generation and understood what they knew of it at the time and talked about it. It was like very tangential, a lot of anecdotal mm-hmm. <laughs> of of what it was like or what it could have been like, a lot of supposition. And then I also did a lot of research on assimilation and how we build communities in different spaces, particularly around Eastern, Eastern and Western culture mix. So it was, it was a, a series of things, but I can't point to, you know, one single text or one single thing or multiple books because it was a, a series of going down the research paths, pulling a sentence here and there, sure. as well as talking to people. <clears throat> the, 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 the surprising thing is there's still not a lot of research about early immigrants to America. You know, I've found some articles that went back to all the way back to before the revolution um, in um, the States when British people brought over Indians as servants mm-hmm. into the colonies and they stayed. And I think about, wow, that's generation upon generation of assimilation and what happened and how much was kept of that identity versus did it all just get sort of um, diluted to maybe, you know, there are people out there who don't even know if that's their origin story, right? Right. Maybe that's your next book. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Don't give me ideas. (laughs) Well, well, what, what was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published? Was this the first novel that you had actually written um, had you written short stories before? What what was your writing journey? Oh, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, the writing journey usually starts with reading, right? We mm-hmm. we start reading and we think, huh. And some people gravitate to, wait, I also tell myself stories uh, or I do fan fiction or something like that. Um, for me, it was more just reading. And I was such a voracious reader all through. It wasn't until... Um, I started reading some fiction by Chitra Devakaruni, Bharti Mukherjee, who are original writers uh, who wrote in English about Indians in America or Indians assimilating to America. And that's when I thought I saw myself like representation matters, right? So I said, oh, wait, maybe I could tell stories. And um, I started writing essays first and learning that, then short stories, which I find completely difficult to write. <laughs> I think there's such a talent to be so tight in in a confined and and your prose has to be just so completely um, on point to get that story across in that amount of length. Um, and then I wrote some really bad poetry, as you do <laughs> when you're in your angsty twenties, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then I I really focused on the novel because I found that length to be the most interesting for me because I get to explore. Um, I have time to explore different things. You can explore character, setting, plot, and uh, background, right? And not necessarily backstory, but like the the background that the story lives in. So that would, I spent a lot of time really focusing on that. I wrote about three really bad books. They were just practice books. And then I started writing after taking classes 
at uh, Grub Street and Grassum Writers and mm-hmm. other places. I started writing um, full-length novels towards the eye of searching for an agent. And now I've had a few short stories published, but again, please don't even go look for them. It's <laughs> <laughs> <just> not great. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, at that time I had all these visions of like having my short stories in the New Yorker and all of that until I discovered the novel form. And then I thought, okay, this is the path to publishing for me, um, which was to hone my craft enough before searching out an agent. And then once uh, I signed with an agent, I wrote two novels um, that, that are now sort of sitting on the side. They may come of something or not, but this novel sort of happened this was a story I wanted to tell. It happened at the right time. And I've really managed to be able to wrangle the plot in a way that, and the characters in a way that it came together to be the the best thing I've created to date. Right? And you want to put <laughs> out the best thing as your debut. So yeah, that was a long journey, but it, there were a lot of things that led up to that journey. No overnight success here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, you you mentioned these three books that you you referred to. They were just practice novels, or that they, they were bad. What what was bad about them, and what did you what do you feel like you learned from writing those? Yeah, uh, it's so important to go back. And bad is so subjective, right? And it mm-hmm. could be that we beat ourselves up with this idea of like, well, it's not good enough because somebody said it's not good enough. Or you look at it after after learning a little bit more, and you're always learning. So the first one, if I think back to it, was just a character sketch. There was no plot. There were no beats. There was no story. It was just <laughs> 80,000 words of a character doing things, right, and interacting <laughs> with people. And uh, you try to, um, you know, when you read a lot, you think, oh, I know how to tell a story because you read a lot. And it, you think it's intuitive. But the craft of writing a story that that people read and think, oh, this is easy um is actually hard (laughs) (laughs) and the second and third were more so the second one was more had more plot i should say but the but the the beats were wrong so things didn't happen in the narrative structures that we're used to and a lot of it um hindsight i wasn't this smart at that time so hindsight you know the the narrative arc of Eastern stories versus Western stories is different. And a lot of the er- earlier things that I wrote were about a narrative arc with like passive characters where things happen to mm-hmm. and collective ways of approaching that sort of problem. And I, I'm not, I'm specifically not using the words plot or things like that because, you know, um, the Eastern storytelling is not a hero's journey or heroine's journey. It's, it's a different way of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I had to really learn to write to what Western audiences and the way we're used to reading. And I am, I am a Western reader, right? I read Mm -hmm. current contemporary and historical and all the, all the genres that are interesting. I read those, but, so that shapes the way I write, but you have to learn to write that, um, especially if you speak an Eastern language, which just the language itself is formed differently, right? And you, you think differently because of that language. And if you are raised in an Eastern household like I was and are surrounded by 
you know, Indian Americans or Gujarati Americans, um, your storytelling is a little bit different. So you have to sort of learn the craft of it. And that's what the practice novels were, was just learning, oh, I do need a plot or wait, that's <laughs> a lot of plot and I need to really focus on what's, you know, and uh, now I, I, I won't say I've perfected it because nobody does. I will say I'm getting better at it. <laughs> Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. That's great. Well, I'm I'm curious, what was your writing process when you started working on The Candid Life of Mina Dave? Did you outline the novel or did you just dive into the story? How did that work for you? Yeah. So as someone who wrote practice, the, the 80,000 word character sketch was just pantsing, right? <laughs> Which is start <laughs> to finish. And then when you start learning, I'm still not a great outliner and I'm not someone who can say, okay, I know exactly where the story is. So I'm like somewhere between excavating and architecting at once. Mm -hmm. So I'll have like a, I usually start with just like a paragraph of what I think the story is or what I want the story to be. And I like to have some sort of a, you know, there are things that I want to write about. So those are in there. It's, got to have something with diaspora or assimilation or some dual cultural thing. I like to have a historical point of anchor. And then um, I usually have to mull and figure out who the character is. And once the character's there, I can write a paragraph to say, this is the story I want to tell. And then from the paragraph, I'll just very like, <laughs> if it's a half a page, it's a lot, but just like, you know, what I think the beats are just the bullets of those beats and the story structure. And then I just take 25% and I write the first, I write from one beat to the other. So I'll write from the inciting incident to plot point one or something like that, depending on what story structure people use. It changes for me. That's why I'm not like specifying. Mm -hmm. There's no secret. It just changes depending on the story, but I'll write in chunks, but I do write linearly. I'm not one who can uh, right in the middle and then go back because I'm excavating at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, I do the 25, 25, 25, 25. And I always, because I wrote that blurb, I know the starting point and the end point. And so I know I'm going somewhere. I just don't know how I'm going to get there until I do the 25, the quarter, the chunks of, of quarter at a time. That's interesting. Well, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who may be working on their own novels or short stories? Uh, <laughs> it's so subjective, right? And mm -hmm. I, but the one thing that is, there's two things actually, I will say. Uh, one is just to practice. Like, don't expect that whatever this is, is, is the thing, right? Um, because stories change. And even when you think you're like just at that point, point where you're like, oh my God, it's done. And I got everything and I can't revise anymore. 
then an editor will look at it and you'll get an eight page edit letter. And you're like, oh, right. <laughs> so that's one is just consider all writing practice and don't think about, and this is what happened with the early books, right? I just thought about the finished product and I never thought about the process of getting to the finished product. And now I think a lot more about the process. And then the second thing is um, just to finish. That is the hardest part, particularly if your form is novel. It's so easy to just spend months and maybe years on just the first 25% or just the first chapter and just getting it perfect. And I would say, just finish, finish wherever you are now, just get to the end because you can always go back. Sure. Uh, don't don't let the first part bog you down. <laughs> that's good. That's good advice. Well, were there authors or novels that inspired you as you were working on the candid life of Mina Dave? I think uh, a lot of. Uh, so I, you know, obviously, I I've read a lot of mm -hmm. um, different types of authors and different genres. I've read a, a lot of Indian American authors that are current contemporaries. Um, one of the books that I was really thinking about in tone, which it did not, I did not do it, but I was trying to get to that tone was uh, the the erotic stories of Punjabi widows by um, oh, Bella. I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. But um, that tone was just so like um, immersive and rich and descriptive. Um, and you know, whenever you try to sort of like be inspired, or I would even say like try to copy or go for something, it never works out because you have your own voice and style, right? So mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's so rich and enriching. And then when I'm trying to write, I'm like, yeah, I just need to get to the action. I just need to know what happens here. <laughs> and you really can't spend too much time describing the aesthetic or the setting of that place. So um, it evolves. Uh, I read some. Um, uh, romance novels because there's a romantic arc in the story and I do love romance and I love happy stories to add. <laughs> and there are a lot of contemporary Indian authors like Farah Hiran and Nisha Sharma who are writing out there about the current hyphenated history of Indian Americans or Indian Canadians versus like the assimilation or the immigrant stories of our, that you know we are used to and then I'm, you know, just women's fiction in general, um, just to understand what the market is and who people are reading, uh, Emily Henry and others who are like uh, telling these stories in a way that are comfort reads, uh, but they still have some depth to them. Uh, so I wanted to go for like something where <laughs> I was like, if you finish my book and you, it, you have a smile on your face and you are glad you took the journey and you learned a little something. That's that makes me happy. <laughs> That's what I really wanted out of that. I know that was a meandering way to answer your question, oh, but no. it's sort of hard when you're like all the books. <laughs> yeah, all the books. Have you have you started writing another novel? Yes. So actually, my second book is due on Monday, too. <laughs> um, which is uh, again, it's about. Well, this one's a little bit different. It's set in Napa. It's about a woman. Who loses? She's a perfumer. She loses her sense of smell, and she has to find her new passion. And the sort of historical nugget is around the uh, pervasiveness of Indian American hotel owners in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and the origin of when the first 
Indian American um, owned a hotel and he was undocumented and there were some back channel ways that he got to got the hotel, but then paved the way for others who came after. And that was in the 1940s, others who came after. Now I think like over 40% of motels and hotels in the U.S. are owned by Indian, particularly Gujarati Americans. And so I wanted to, to have a nod to that. And the story sort of is like a, a legacy from that. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, The Candid Life of Mina Dave? Nonpatel.com is my website, and you can find all of the links. And Namrita Patel author on Instagram is probably where you'll find more book news. I'm very uh, sporadic in my other social media channels, so the website is probably the best. And then I'm um, building a newsletter uh, just to similar to this conversation around the behind the scenes of what it's like to put together a novel. I am by no means professing that I'm teaching anything or (laughs) it's just to to like demystify this. Uh, You know, when I was first reading, like I would read um, Chitra Devakaruni and, and uh, Palace of Illusions. And I think, Oh my God, the writer just sat down. All of that came out and voila, it's a book. (laughs) And there was this like idea of perfectionism. And then, until I got into it and I learned like the, the editorial process, the revision process, the number of people that help get it in shape, right? So I'm hoping that it demystifies and makes it more accessible to people who may be thinking you have to be at that level just right off the bat. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, that sounds good. We'll look forward to that that newsletter. Thank you. Thank you. Well, again, we've been speaking with Namrata Patel, author of the debut novel, The Candid Life of Mina Dave. Namrata, thanks for doing this interview. This was great. Thank you so much. I can't wait to listen to it. (laughs) Okay. Thanks a lot. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.